This podcast has been brought to you by EJCMO.TV, empowering cancer education. For further details on our audio and video podcasts, please visit www.ejcmo.tv. Adjuvant therapy for colorectal cancer with Professor James Cassidy. My name is Professor Jim Cassidy. I'm Professor of Oncology at Glasgow University. Um, I have two major interests. One is GI cancer, in particular colorectal cancer. The other is my laboratory interest is about gene and drug, drug delivery and how that interacts, in particular with colon cancer. Adjuvant therapy is an emerging area of interest for oncologists and other clinicians who treat patients with metastatic colon cancer. What are the current standards of care in metastatic colon cancer? So the current standards of care in metastatic disease uh, revolve around basically three types of drugs. There's uh, so-called fluoropyrimidines, which we've had for ages, and then there's two other drugs, oxaloplatin and arinotecan. Um, now, the standard of care is a combination of those. Um, so either an oxaloplatin and fluoropyrimidine combination or an arinotecan and fluoropyrimidine combination, so-called Folfox and Folfiri. Um, and both of them are probably about the same in terms of their activity. Um, so what happens is that about half the world would use an oxaloplatin-based regimen first line, the other half would use an antiquin, but actually it doesn't matter so much because what usually happens is that then patients swap over. So once they've failed the first one, they get the second one. And I think that's the important message that everybody gets access to all the drugs. What are the limitations of current adjuvant therapies? So the limitations of adjuvant treatment are basically twofold. One is that it's not active for everyone, so it doesn't cure everybody. We'd like it to be 100% effective. The other is that it produces side effects. And there are, there are two types of side effects, if you like, short-term side effects and then long-lasting side effects. Now, the short-term, non-lethal things are probably not such a big issue. You, you can get around them. But those longer-term, non-reversible side effects are a real problem. Um, so some patients are left with lifelong problems from their chemotherapy. So that's the basic two limitations. So the best way to select patients for adjuvant therapy at the moment is based on really very simple things, their staging. Um, so for stage 3 disease, in other words, nodal metastasis, um, those patients by and large would get adjuvant chemotherapy. Um, you then get into more subtle things, so stage 2 disease, so-called high risk, depend again on various pathological factors. Most people would then select them for adjuvant treatment, but there is a bit of controversy over that. And clearly the stage 1 patients who are much earlier, you wouldn't give adjuvant treatment to. Which patients are most likely to benefit from adjuvant therapy? So again, that's the basis of who benefits is really on that business of selection. So what the trials tell you is that in stage 3 disease, there's a real benefit. So unless you've got comorbidity or some reason not to give you adjuvant treatment, most people would do that. Stage 2, again a bit controversial, so there's so-called high risk, medium risk, low risk. Um, and the high-risk patients probably have some benefit, but numerically much less than three, stage three. Um, so that's kind of how we do this, and that's the patients that would benefit. How realistic is it for clinicians to select patients for specific therapies on the basis of molecular selection? So the molecular selection story is, is really interesting, and we, would, we had kind of hoped that by now we'd be able to say, so here's a bunch of patients that we can do some sort of profiling on and we can tell them uh, that's the treatment for them or they don't need treatment. Unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. We know about one particular thing, which is called micro microsatellite instability, um, which is present in about 15% of people with colorectal cancer. And they um, do very well without adjuvant chemotherapy. And also there's some evidence, not compelling, but some evidence that if you give them adjuvant treatment, you may actually do them some harm. Um, so for those patients, we most people would not do that. 
Now the problem is that the evidence for that isn't absolutely solid, so not everybody in the world does MSI testing in the first place, but it's probably the closest we've got. Are there any patients for whom adjuvant therapy is unlikely to be beneficial? Yeah, so there's clearly some patients for whom adjuvant treatment isn't a good idea. So the easiest group is the stage 1 patients. So they have an 85-90% chance of being cured by their surgery. So giving them adjuvant treatment really is chasing something that is not going to be catchable. Um, you then move into stage 2 patients, and the low-risk stage 2 patients, again, the same kind of applies to them. The chances of them being cured are really, is really high. I guess the other side of that is that patients who have got very significant comorbidity you know, they've got lots of things going wrong with them. They've had strokes and heart attacks and everything else. They're probably not going to be around long enough to benefit because clearly the benefit is in trying to cure you from that disease. But if you then go in and die from your heart disease, that doesn't make sense. Can you share some of the survival data? Yeah, so the survival data, the, 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 the clinical papers that are out there are a little bit mixed in terms of their absolute numerical value, but in round figures for stage 3 patients, there's about a 50% chance that they're going to relapse. When you add in adjuvant treatment, and let's not worry about the recipe right now, you probably push that up to something like 60 to 65% of patients being alive and well, maybe even slightly higher. Um, stage 2 patients, much smaller, numerically much smaller. So the high-risk patients that we know about in trials, the benefit's in the range of 3 to 5% perhaps. What does the trial data tell us about which agents and combination of agents optimise patient outcomes? So the trial data is easy in one respect in that there have been trials done with arinotecan, three major trials done with arinotecan, all of which are negative. Now people argue about why that is because it's kind of unexpected um, and maybe it's a flaw of the design or whatever, but the fact is the world has moved on. So no one really uses adjuvant arinotecan now. Um, you then get into... The other drugs, so oxaliplatin and fluoropyrimidine combination are, the, are the, what's usually used. And people argue about whether that combination is the best or whether the single agent fluoropyrimidine is the best. Because when you add in oxaliplatin, you add in a side effect, which is long-term long neuropathy for some patients. So there's a little bit of controversy there. However, it's, it's just a little bit of controversy. So most people, unless there was a contraindication, most people would use an oxaliplatin combination um, for adjuvant treatment. When you use single-agent uh, fluoropyrimidines, it tends to be for people who are older or frailer or some reason why you think, I'm not, I don't want to give them oxaliplatin. Um, and certainly the evidence is there that that treatment works, but it's probably just a, a little bit less active than the oxaliplatin combination. What are some of the emerging targeted therapies that show promise in the adjuvant setting? So we had a lot of hope with the targeted or molecular-based therapies that have come through in metastatic disease, in particular Avastin and Cetuximab. And clearly we've moved them into the adjuvant setting and there are big trials ongoing, some finished, hoping that we would add in benefit. Unfortunately, so far, the trials that we've seen are negative. So for the moment, at least, one couldn't recommend using these agents outside those clinical trial arenas. Um, it's still the jury's out a little bit, but I think most of us are feeling a kind of disappointment about that, and it doesn't look like they're going to pan out, unfortunately. How long will it be before we see customised treatment as the standard of care for collateral cancer in the adjuvant setting? So the, the business of trying to do some sort of molecular profile on the patient or the tumour and then be able to select the, the, the chemotherapy that's best for them is one of the kind of holy grails of oncology. And I guess we had kind of hoped that, that those molecular targeted agents would bring us to that, to that arena, but they haven't really. So at the moment, we don't really have a way of doing that molecular targeting that's prime time, other than the story of MSI, which I mentioned before. 
Um, when that will come about, I think it will come about, but when that will come about, on a good day, I think it's within my professional lifetime, so maybe 10 years or so. On a bad day, I think maybe it's a bit longer, 20, 25 years. It's really down to, can we find robust biomarkers and then do that in prospective trials, which then would change practice. And that all takes a bit of time. This podcast has been brought to you by EJCMO.TV, empowering cancer education. For further details on our audio and video podcasts, please visit www.ejcmo.tv.